Before we begin this very special Thanksgiving episode of Daddy Issues, listeners, we wanted to take a moment to thank those of you who have generously reviewed us on iTunes. They're such nice reviews. We appreciate them. And they also help us enormously when it comes to Apple Podcasts. Some of our favorites include a review from Laura Carney that said, I couldn't stop listening to this show. I started listening to an early episode and then five minutes later, I lost track of all time because the insights and life experiences of the guests are so fascinating while the hosts keep the stories relatable. Highly recommend their episodes about Mad Men are excellent and funny too. Another review that I really liked, fascinating people from vastly different backgrounds discuss their daddy issues with hosts who are essentially unlicensed therapists raised by Oscar Wilde and Dorothy Parker. I'll take that. That's nice. Sure. Also, we want to thank our Patreon patrons, just a few of whom include Betsy Lerner, AJ Delario, and Christian Sky Olsen. Without you, we would be stuck with oppressive mounting invoices for all the online software we use and the discordant feeling that we're shouting into a dark canyon. You too can support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash tellmeaboutyourfather, where for as little as $3 a month, you'll get access to our exclusive series, The Monthly Daily Dads, in which we look at some of the month's most absurd and intriguing dad-centric stories that appeared in the iconically frenetic and celeb-obsessed Daily Mail. If you prefer not to, and you just need to keep it free and easy, we're not mad. In fact, we're extremely grateful that you're listening to this right now. So with that, let's get going. Welcome to Tell Me About Your Father, Colin Daddy Issues, where we discuss who or what in recent pop culture and current events is and is not our dad right now. This is a very special Thanksgiving-themed episode of Daddy Issues, so we will be serving up plate after plate of traditional Americana and cultural discourse fare topped with industrial fried onions, and then we will drink until the football comes on and we slip into a coma, all in the name of gratitude. I am Matthew Philp. And I'm Elizabeth Thompson. Our guest today comes with talent and humor as abundant and runneth over as a Thanksgiving cornucopia. Writer Maggie Sirota has worked as managing editor for the beloved news and internet culture site Death and Taxes, and later as a staff writer at Spin Magazine. She's worked at Tumblr and also as a contributor to Glamour Magazine, Refinery29, Rolling Stone, and Pitchfork among many other titles. If you're not following Maggie on Twitter, get thee to Twitter right now and smash the follow button on at Maggie Sirota for her hilarious tweets. These tweets include Maggie's screenshots of conversations with her father about the family dogs and rather frequently a photo of a shirtless sting playing a lute while his wife, Trudy Styler, does yoga next to him. Listener, this image will take your breath away. Maggie shares it regularly. We're going to talk to her more about Sting in a second. Welcome to Daddy Issues, Maggie. Thanks for having me. Wow, you got my credits right. Wow. <laughs> Did people get them wrong? Yeah. Have you been... No, it's more so like, don't say, tell me what you've written for or like, tell me what you've done. Oh, like, yeah. The okay, lazy did we thing. not know each other? Have we not been friends for years? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Do I not tell you about my job and my hopes yeah. and my dreams and my failures? Oh, okay. You know, we like to do the work here at Tell Me About Your Father. Matt, welcome <laughs> back. You, Matt, you. for the listeners at home, has been on hiatus for the past few months as he recovered from 
uh, gallbladder surgery. That's true. I did. It was so much weirder than I thought it would be. Like, you're just like, oh, I can't walk up a hill without needing a two-hour nap. It was like, it just went, it just was this incredibly bizarre experience. Thank you to, you know, uh, Medicaid for paying for that, by the way. My God. Um, New York State. You ever want to get sick anywhere? New York City and New York State is the place to do it. The American healthcare system is not our dad, is it, Matt? It's not. Well, it was my dad this time because I was at NYU Langone. I had like the business class, everything, and I didn't get a bill because I like was unemployed for like last year and only freelancing, and which meant that I qualified for Medicaid. So I had this whole thing and I never saw a bill. I was like, my God, I feel like I'm in Europe. Well, we're glad that you're feeling better, Matt. Thank you. And thank you for you guys, to you guys for doing such a magnificent job. Um, I meant it when I said this, the thing about The Sopranos, your series was extraordinary. Um, to our guest, Maggie, and to our listeners at home, Aaron and I, our co-host who's not joining us today, just got done with what was supposed to be a two-part series on The Sopranos that we turned into a seven-part series. <laughs> There's just so yeah. much daddy stuff on the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. AJ alone, you can have a whole series. Oh, my God. Don't, don't, don't worry. There's, like, hours devoted to AJ between these seven episodes. Oh, perfect. Wonderful. I have noticed on your Twitter feed, at the risk Mm -hmm. of, you know, crazy Twitter stalker, which I I kind of am, I guess, because I'm always, like, I just, like, spent a lot of time on your Twitter feed today, but I always see you in my feed. You know what? Lucky for you, I love attention. (laughs) Good. Um, regardless, but you have been re- recently rewatching The Sopranos, which I appreciate and tweeting about it. Um, and I do share your love um, for Polly Walnuts. I oh my god, I'm not supposed to love him, but I really love him. He's so funny and so. Well, I think that's kind of the thread through all the characters. Right? We're not supposed to love any of them. Yeah, you know, David Chase loves to kind of be antagonistic of his audience. I think he's almost a little mad that people love some of these characters. <laughs> Yeah, he seems to be both. I I feel like make up your mind, David Chase, because he yeah. it's like he he wants to remind you over and over again that these are like unlovable psychopathic murderers. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. you know, it's like filled with comedy and filled with emotion and very relatable things. So how could you not fall in love with these people? Seems like Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's kind of the problem is that like Tony has this very like compartmentalized life and he can't be a whole person to his family, to society, because like he does things that are unspeakably evil. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and he would argue in service of his family. Yeah, right. He's being he's just taking care of taking care of business. Mm-hmm. Like I've never really bought the kind of thread line that he was a sociopath at towards the end when like Cooperberg and Melfi you're talking about, like how you can't reform a sociopath. I feel like that's kind of a cop-out to call him a sociopath. I like it's almost like he doesn't have agency or there aren't outside factors. It's just like he's someone that grew up out of a certain era. Like he's a leader. Like he's in a way charismatic and talented, but it's like he's using it for something. Yeah, he he's a mobster. Like yeah. I guess the question is, can one be a violent killer and a mobster without being a sociopath? We did a lot of the shows with Matt Zoller Seitz, who wrote, you know, a huge book about the Sopranos and Alan Sappenwall mm-hmm. from Rolling Stone. And he talked a lot about, you know, the Sopranos as is challenging for people to wrap their head around because it asks the viewer to to accept that like many realities are true at once. You know, Tony is yeah. horrible and you love him. 
Yeah, um, people love Obama. He's a war criminal. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk you know about what I mean? drones. Uh-huh. Let's talk about the drones, Obama. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, I think the main argument against him being a sociopath is I don't think he would even be like in treatment. Like, he obviously experiences guilt. Like, it comes through in his dreams. Hundred percent. He wouldn't have gone to a therapist in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. We need to go back and re-record all this. We should do the entire thing for that big guy. <laughs> With Maggie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Maggie, when I am gently stalking your Twitter feed, mm-hmm. one thing that I've noticed over the years is your amazing screech- screenshots of text messages that you have, texting exchanges you have with your father, often about mm-hmm. the family dogs. Recently, mm-hmm. there was a, a photo that maybe he thought was lit a little lighter, but it's just... Mm-hmm like a dark room with two glowing eyes in it yeah that's a common so my dad like spends most of his time in his little den mm-hmm. kind of a basement not a lot of light gets in and he's a flip phone he's you know a 63 year old man with a flip phone um he doesn't want to hear about iphones he doesn't like don't even say that to him like he doesn't even like the fact that he has to have a cell phone but he has one yeah and so like at any given time he's a pack of four rottweilers and they're kind of like menudo where like <laughs> you know like one you know like like a menudo when he hit 18 like you know like one you get cycled out and then another you know like another member comes in well like in this pack like if one passes away then another rottweiler or a pair get brought in so there's always usually there's usually four what are their names so right now there's banjo and ivy mm-hmm. and they're their siblings and then the older two are um, James Brown and Ella. Fair. And did your dad, is, does his kind of, his world, like, or his main focus on these dogs at all times? Yeah. yeah, it's so funny. He's like, do, do you love daddy? Daddy loves you. You love your daddy? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Like, that is like, <laughs> my daddy used to own a music store. And like, the, and it was funny to, to listen to the, um, the employees make fun of him and they would do the, do you do have your daddy? Do you have your daddy? Would he bring the dogs to the music store? Oh, yeah. People would freak out because they're Rottweilers. And it's like, no, they're loving and wonderful. And like, the thing about Rottweilers, they look scary, but they just kind of want to love you to death. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're quite like, elegant. I my dad's house, like 400 do- pounds of dog comes running at me and they're real happy to see me. I've never met a Rottweiler that wasn't just incredibly sweet. And like yeah. giant yeah. like sea lion. Um, yeah. 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 These are very sweet. They're sweet. Like oh. the only thing is like they love me too much. Like I want them to like love me a little less. <laughs> it's smothering you. It's the Yeah. You got to keep like things up yeah. high. Like you got to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did he but, always have these dogs? Did you have dogs growing up? Um, I'm a cat person. So I, okay. uh, you know, like I always had, like, I usually had a cat growing up, but my parents didn't live together. So like, he usually had a dog since I was a teenager. There was Harley. I'm going to shout out all the dead dog, pour one out, pour some out for the, uh, for the ones that are no longer with us. But, um, he had Harley, the giant black lab, and then Hobbs, the, um, his first Rottweiler who then had that leg amputated because of cancer. But it was really cute. I mean, watching him hobble around as a tripod is really cute. I'm not going to, it sounds hard, so horrible to say. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like he had to do a little spin to get up this, did the one step to get back in the house. <laughs> like, yeah, the they, I've, there's, a, there's a dog near me that does that. And they just, it's like it's, the dog's obviously just figured out a system. It's gone. Mm. I've got three legs or whatever. This is how yeah. you, I just get her around like that now. 
Yeah. Yeah. He was like a really, yeah. He was like, he like was also on steroids because he had Addison's disease. So he's like this giant muscular sausage on three legs. And then he just spin around and, and like if you laughed, like he just bark at you because he's very serious and he doesn't like when people have fun. Like, but that dog was great. I love that dog. He was like my favorite. What else does your dad text you about besides dogs or is it only dog content? So my dad's text usually like like every couple of weeks, like a paragraph will come through and it's like it, it follows like a certain there's a there is a formula. Mm-hmm. So it's usually like if there was a weather related event, a storm, like what the damage cost him. And then or if one of the dogs had to go to the dog hospital, what that cost him. Then an update on the deers he's made the deer he's making friends with and his way he's feeding them. And like, I'm really glad he's making friends. <laughs> the deers have names. I don't think so, but he feeds them because he lives in 20 acres of land. And he said, like, hunters have, like, asked him if they can come hunt on his property. He's like, no, those are my friends. (laughs) That's cool. That's That's sweet. That is sweet. Your dad is, like, Snow White with the flip phone. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the birds sing. And he's like, yeah, I'll be listening to Led Zeppelin. And all the birds come around and, like, help put on his flannel shirt and his, uh. Yeah. They help him put on his like what big white puffy sneakers and dad jeans. Incredible. Yeah. Weather techs are huge for parents and dads. Yeah. Like just their weather and also weather where you are, where their children. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big Well, no, I think like a big thing for them is like, like texting. What's something my dad used to do when I lived in Philly was text me about a violent crime that happened months ago. Nowhere near me. That's (laughs) great. Yeah. Like, he knew I worked at a coffee shop, so he'll, like, text me, like, a couple months after the fact about a holdup at another coffee shop, and he thought maybe I worked there, and it's like, no. (laughs) Yeah, crimes that are nowhere near you, or, like, scary things that happen that are nowhere near you. I love that he does it months later, too. Yeah, I mean, my dad and I are kind of close in age, so sometimes it's kind of weird to, like, when he knows about things that I know about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you're like, we're only got like a 20 year gap. And like most of my friends, they've got like a 40 year gap with their dad. Interesting. So I'll be like watching TV and my dad will just like turn to me and go like, it's crazy that Dime, like Dimebag Daryl got shot like that. And like, <laughs> like dads aren't allowed to know about Dimebag Daryl. Dad knows about, he's a, is he a Pantera fan? That's so interesting that he's not that much he's older just, than you in, in theory, you know? Like we were just watching metal videos one night. And he was talking and I was like, and I was talking to him about, like, I was just talking about, like, I think like Bill Anselmo is just like sketchy politics or whatever. And he goes, and I just said to him, yeah, so the singer, and he goes like, Bill Anselmo, dear, like he's telling me, like, oh, please tell me about Pantera, dad. <laughs> Did you grow into that kind of thing? Because was it, is it, was it harder when he was younger and possibly like less mature? Was there like a tense period of time? Or was uh, it always kind of easygoing? It was easygoing. Like, he was kind of interested in things I liked. Okay. So he still, like, texts me jokes about Morrissey, even though I kind of, I mean, I'm kind of turned on Morrissey in the last couple of years. Well, not a kind of. I did turn on Morrissey the, the past couple of years. But, um, like, if you read something somewhere about Morrissey, he'll text me about it. I love that. Or, Is that also of... a weird feeling to think about, like, when you were, so your, your parent, your dad was 20 when you were born? Mm-hmm. Like when you were 18, he was like our age. Like, yeah, it's about, crazy, like, right? Yeah. Like how, yeah. like how young they were. My mom had me when she was 32, but I'm, you know, I just mm. 39 and I'm like, mm. 
I remember my mom when she was my age. That's a weird, that's, I, I think, yeah. always a weird thing when you get old enough to be like, oh, I remember when my parents were my exact age right now. Oh, yeah. Like when my dad turned like 30, he already had like two kids, you know, like it's just crazy. Wow. Was he always yeah. fine with it? Like, was he always like, this is great. I have two kids. Or was it like a difficult thing? Because he's like, I'm a kid and I want to go out and drink at bars. Well, you kind of hit on an interesting, you kind of hit on an interesting thread there because like, I think drinking at bars was a habit. He quit in his early 30s, like entirely. Okay. I think there were probably bigger issues and I'm a kid. I think it's more so drinking at, drinking at bars is a problem. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of beloved musicians with questionable politics now, you mentioned Will mm -hmm. Anselmo and Morrissey. You pretty regularly tweet about Glenn Danzig. And yeah. Glenn Danzig is a very interesting person to me because of his, you know, influence on music. Like the Misfits were an incredible band. Yeah, yeah. Like hybrid yeah. moments is like a perfect song. Like the melody, I just love it. Yeah, like you, you, you get you get all your dirtbag friends in the car, and you drive around, and you're all singing "She" together. You're having a good time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Then you know he kind of disappeared after you know Danzig and 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 Mother and all of that. And there was a viral photo of him that you know came out what in the past decade where he's grocery shopping and carrying a thing of fresh up kitty litter through the mm -hmm. parking lot. Um, so it's funny mm -hmm. to think about Glenn Danzig with kitties at home. But yeah. you know, what else is going on with him? We recently had um, the comedy writer Alex Cordellis on, who we super briefly talked about Glenn. And I asked Alex if he was a Republican, if Glenn was a Republican. And he was like, I don't know. But then after that, I Googled Glenn and I found a quote about him referring to Planned Parenthood as a quote, chop shop. So mm. anyways, I just need to ask you, Twitter's foremost expert on Glenn Danzig, what's going on with him? Is I mean, problematic, et cetera. He's very problematic. And I'll tell you why. When I saw, I saw the Sam Hain reunion tour mm -hmm. and he definitely used the F word to refer to someone when he was throwing them out of a, out of the show. Oof. And it was such a, like, it really, it was like, uh -huh. like, I mean, I had an experience. I had an interview experience for the village voice go really bad with him when I asked him about a comment I thought was homophobic. And he got real combative with me and was like, it just ends with him cursing me out. But like when, so this was after the fact and like, I felt like vindicated. Like I was absolutely right to ask that question. You know, I felt good. I, I didn't pay money for that show. Like I was like, my money didn't go to support that, but it really just like, I've never like really felt the same about him since. Yeah, definitely. This is good. So he, was he indignant about being called on it or what yeah, was it? Yeah. So the comment I asked about was about like, he remarked at one point that he thought like there's this long time rumor that he was going to be like Wolverine in the X-Men movie instead of like that he was the director's first choice or something. I don't. Oh, he told LA Weekly that his Wolverine wouldn't have been as gay. <laughs> that's what. Okay. That's the. And, and the extent of Wolverine's gayness was the fact that the actor who played him was on broadway in oklahoma like how was wolverine like gay yeah what? well he wouldn't really answer that that those were some great you know some questions i tried to ask he got really combative and like so then his manager like complained to my editor and just said like and said things that weren't true that glenn ended the interview early because i was asking inappropriate questions which I feel like asking about, you know, a quote you've given on the record is a absolutely inappropriate question. Uh -huh. I think I asked him if he thought if he um 
thought that saying something like that would alienate his gay fans. Mm-hmm. I think is all reasonable questions. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Also, it's um, really cool when a manager just like picks up the phone and calls an editor because that's when you know they're really in control of everything. Like you're just like, oh, oh, the manager's on the phone. Yeah, I'm going to obviously this journalist was out of line. It couldn't possibly yeah. be anything else. It couldn't possibly be that you're insane and yeah, when unbalanced. A, when a, and I love a frantic. I used to work at the Village Voice. Matt also worked at the Village Voice. Um, you, mm. the Village Voice, like we've all. I was just a freelancer. I didn't like. I wasn't a staffer, but it was. Um, yeah, it was we, a freelance assignment. We've all worked in media, and there's nothing worse than the like frantic publicist or manager. Oh like, yeah, that you know interview. And to Matt's point, like it just always. I wish that managers and publicists of the world understood that that is the biggest tell that they're fucking terrified and that they know something really bad. That's not the fault of the writer happened in the mm -hmm. interview. Like, just don't yeah. say anything. Just don't call yeah. it off. So I'll tell you guys the name of the actor off air, but kind of like just speaking on your like kind of publicist freak out. I was trying to get in touch with an actor for a story about a movie I grew up loving. And um, it was like, it wasn't a big deal. It was just like an anniversary piece for this movie. And for months, like the publicist just said he's on vacation with his family or she just wouldn't respond. So when I finally got in touch to be like, hey, some people talked about him. I'd like to give him a response. She like freaked out and act like I never like reached out to her and somehow got my boss's cell phone number and started like texting her. Who thankfully had my back, but was just like saying all these untrue things about me. It was just like, oh, my God. Like these people are so shameless. Yeah. They are shameless. And it just, it makes it, it always makes it worse. It's like, how do you think this is going to end for you or your clients? We're now even more interested in running a piece that starts with an editor's note about how shitty this person was during the interview. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not even, it's not like you're going to HR. It's like, mm -hmm. we're not in an office in some massive ludicrous bank where you can just, it's not the same thing, calling <laughs> the Wait. boss to complain and then there'll be some due process that'll be all very neat. Like it's sort of, yeah, you no, can't, thank you. You can't, it's I would nuts. like to speak to your manager, a writer, yeah. a journalist, doesn't work that way. Well, it's funny when I worked at the Village Voice, I was, it was my first job that I ever had and mm. The late great, he was a designer, um, L.D. Begthal. He was a he was actually a musician. He was a mm -hmm. member of the Magnetic Fields, and he was oh wow. And he also used to write music listings for the Village Voice. And I thought that you know, and I edited that section of like the little calendar mm -hmm. of like things to do in the city. And so um, Danzig was going to perform one mm -hmm. night, and he, and so L.D. was like, oh, I'm going to write write up the little capsule, you know, thing. Mm -hmm about about the upcoming show and he describes danzig as a quote pocket adonis and i had never heard that phrase before because that's he, incredible because he's so short right and he's I, like as tall as he is wide yes yeah, a pocket a pocket adonis but i was so stupid and in a moment of bravery went in and changed i was like this is clearly a typo i've never heard the phrase pocket adonis so i changed it to pocket sized adonis <laughs> oh my and, god and later it didn't go to print but you know later i was doing layout with him because he was a designer and he's like what fucking idiot 
an editorial changes the pocket size Adonis. And I just it stayed quiet. I'm like, I don't know. Somebody. I don't know. They sound like a dummy. <laughs> they, they don't know. I'm not them. I sure hope someone got shot over that one. Yeah. Um, so I love the fact that you brought up like, you know, like a musician working in Alt Weekly because um, I actually was commissioned to write a story for The Stranger, the Seattle Alt Weekly by Sean Nelson, who was the lead singer of Harvey Danger. Oh, yes. Flagpole Sitta. Yeah, yeah. Then, um, that's so cool. Wait, are you writing something for him? Oh no, this was in 2012. I just wrote an essay about why I love to show Hannibal in in like in advance of its 13th, uh, not 13th. God, I wish uh, third season premiere. I wonder how many other musicians work in media now. I, I know that there's a fair amount of them, at least in marketing or like quietly working for like Spotify content teams or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like MC Search, I think, has like a branding agency or something. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Quickly before we get into Matt's topics, Matt, I hate to keep you waiting. But me, no. I love keeping you waiting. We no, at this podcast are very interested in Travis Barker. Do mm-hmm. you have thoughts in the like cognitive, like, like for me, I can't wrap my head around the fact that Travis Barker was in the Aquabats, a for the listeners at home, uh, semi popular ska band in the 90s. And now he's like one of the most famous people in America. <laughs> like, what? Okay. How he's it's his very his like, career is in, amazingly long lasting. Like he's yeah, not- and like he has like cred for someone who was kind of in a silly ska band. Yes. Do you have any opinions about him? Or okay, see, I have like this really broken like charisma tracker because I'm not a Blink One Eighty Two fan. I'm just like I think I was just too old for pop punk when it happened. But like if I had to pick one that I thought would be the star, I think it'd be like Tom because he's like the cute one, or like absolutely. Or like Mark, you know, or, you know, or Mark, because he's the really funny one. And it's kind of like when I was a little kid watching Bosom Buddies and I was just really enthralled with Peter Scolari. <laughs> Meanwhile, like Tom Hanks was just like waiting to blow up. Like I just, yeah. like I just have this like inverse, like kind of picker where who's going to, who's got that star power. It is a weird thing that he really was just this silent member of Link-182 and he's outshone all of them. Well, Tom. Tom DeLong is now a UFO truther slash researcher. And yeah, I yeah. Think some other bands and like a like a graphic novel or something. And then yeah. Mark Hoppus. That's is such a charitable way to put to talk about him. Yeah, he's a, he's a UFO researcher. <laughs> he's a UFO researcher. That's so kind. That is so kind. <laughs> I'm trying to get Tom DeLong to come on this podcast. So I'm trying to be nice. No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, um, but uh, but yeah, it blows my mind that Travis Barker is like the the biggest star, and he still is making headlines with Courtney Kardashian and his stupid obsession with the movie True Romance and like recreating, oh yeah, <laughs> recreating True Romance with every woman that he dates or is married to. Listeners at home, if you want to hear more about this, Aaron Hozier, our co-host, went off on our Patreon, which we're posting on the same day this podcast comes out. So. If you want more Travis Barker content, head over. To it's a really deep dive. She has an encyclopedic <laughs> understanding really of the Kardashians um, and of Travis Matt, Barker. I'm looking at the I'm looking at our little list of what we need to talk about, and you have Superman listed. Tell us about Superman. Oh, so oh. speak. Okay, so I like I'm not a comic book fan, but I did happen upon 
this offshoot of the Superman story that started a few months ago called Son of Kal-El, where it follows like the son of Superman. And Jonathan Kent, named after his grandfather, Superman's Earth parents, Jonathan was his, the man that found him in the field. So Jonathan Kent's parents are Superman and Lois Lane, and he's bisexual. And I was like, oh, I want to see what this story is. They're not the first, it's not the first time that they've brought sexuality, like queer sexuality into, into the comic book realm, but it's part of the Superman story. And so I've just been buying this. The issue five came out yesterday and it's the issue where you get the kiss between Jonathan Kent as Superman's son and this, his, his like soon to be boyfriend, Jay Nakamura, who is a journalist. But the, the premise for it is that Superman knows that his son has these special powers and Superman has to go someplace else in the first issue. So he leaves the entire legacy of Superman with his son. And the legacy is all about helping from media fairness, journalistic freedom, helping immigrants. These are the issues that Superman's son attacks. And... Yeah. What's interesting about it is that they updated the phrase, you know, it used to be like truth, justice in the American way. That's what Superman fights for. Well, his son fights for truth, justice, and a better tomorrow to, to be more inclusive. It's like very heartwarming to, to, to read this because it's all about what happens in the world right now. It's very much current. He's a breathtakingly handsome guy. And he struggles with inheriting his father's legacy. But it's what's interesting also about it is that the colorist um, had an absolute aneurysm over this and quit and <laughs> said, I'm tired of them ruining these characters. They don't have the right to do this. And then he was like, the fact that they change it from truth, justice, and the American way, he said, what really pissed me off was saying truth, justice, and a better world. Fuck that. It was truth, justice, the American way. My grandpa almost died in World War II. We don't have the right to destroy shit that people died for us to, to give us. And it's like, I mean, girl, take a breath. Like, it's not, <laughs> no, if, we're not talking about, nobody's rewritten the Superman myth. Anyway, so it's like, you know, to, I didn't realize it only takes like eight minutes to read one of these things. But it's very cute. It's, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of into it. It's the first time I've read a comic book I since I was a child. I love that you're talking about this, Matt, because we never talk about comic books, which is... Well, yeah. it's prohibitive. And it's, again, referencing the Sopranos thing, listening to the two guys that you had on talk about why the ending of the ambiguous ending was so difficult for people is because American culture particularly is against sitting in ambiguity. It needs everything to be so tied up and neatly put in a bow. That's why there's this obsession with canon and everything being correct and in line. And I, always, and I found that so oppressive and difficult to deal with. It's too much. I can't, I don't have the time to go back and read... 500 issues of Superman just so I can kind of have a context for this. Great. But I jumped into this, I just happened to jump into it at the beginning of it. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to run with this. I've never done it's, it before. Anyway. It's what we need right now. We need a bisexual son of Superman. We need uh, American propaganda deleted from our brains. When this guy complained and he said, this is going to tank, 
it's actually received more order that the is the over orders for this issue and this series is overwhelming to the point where I went in on the actual day that it came out and there's a sign saying you can only have one per customer. It's like the Simpsons where the guy's like one per customer, but that actually is what it was. You can't buy more than one of these because it's in such demand. People are so into it. So it's nice. It's beautifully drawn. They always sort of are, I think. Um, Christian, where did Superman have to go? You said he had They don't to... explain it. They don't explain it. It's sort of a like, bit weird like that. I have like to that. go somewhere and here's my whole legacy for you. Yeah, they don't explain it. It's sort of a bit, that's a bit weird. You're like, oh, come on. Do you have to give us, you do have to they, leave your family. Do they but explain he... that Nicolas Cage in real life named his son Kal-El? That is actually, oh, yes, I in know. the preamble. That giant behemoth of a son. Like, yeah. Yes. That's in the preamble for it. Well, I um, love this new iteration of Superman. It sounds really, yeah. it sounds amazing. Matt, you were recovering from your surgery, but you also took some time off in general and you traveled recently somewhere. Yeah, I went to, I met, you know what? I went to Las Vegas. My partner was doing some work there. If you have a chance to go, I was, I somehow got tickets to go to see Magic, the Magic Mike show. It's a magnificent show. It is directed by Channing Tatum. It is a feminist love letter. It was so smart. I was so happy to go. It was so surprising. And if you're ever in Las Vegas, like just go to see the Magic Mike show. Channing Tatum is interesting. I forgot that he directed that live version of Magic Mike. He also wrote to keep it on brand for the show. He wrote a children's book. He is a father to a daughter, That's right. the one and only Sparkella. Um, what? He was running around Williamsburg and Greenpoint this summer and fall with his girlfriend, Zoe Kravitz. That was interesting. That's why he was always like doing these live Instagram things while he's riding over the Williamsburg Bridge. Yeah, and I'm like, exactly. how did I miss you? I mean, I'm not that I'm on the bridge, but I'm like, you're minutes for me. Where are you? They were just down the street and having brunch from my house. I'm glad they're having a good time in the neighborhood I can't afford anymore. <laughs> that I used to live in that Enjoy got your priced out of. Thank you so much. Welcome to Greenpoint. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say, I just Googled while you were talking the name of his children's book. And you know how, like, um, if you search for something, like, I put in Channing Tatum book, but then, like, other searches came up, like, at the top of the Google page, like, mm -hmm. um, and it says people also ask dot, 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 and then there's, like, four or five questions that you can click mm -hmm. into, and one is, what disease does Channing Tatum have? And the answer is Ta Tatum has discussed having dealt with attention deficit disorder. That's the disease that he has. <laughs> the disease. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that come up when you Google people, Maggie, I mentioned this. In oh, God. Talking about your intro. When you type in your name, Sting photo fills in. So mm -hmm. let's tell the listeners more about this photo of Sting. It is majestic. It is okay. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up. I've been doing this bit for ten years because oh my god, what am I doing with my life? And um, do not know. Stay on it. You are. This is you magic. Need the bit. Magic. So it's a yeah. When I stop doing this, you'll read about it in the obituary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fans became fans grew concerned. That would be the phrasing. Um. Mm -hmm. So the image is a shirtless, a shirtless mm -hmm. sting playing a lute. Is that and it looks very phallic. Like it's placed very like he's just, he's sitting on his legs. He's doing crisscross applesauce on the on the floor mm -hmm. of this little like bordello or whatever they're at. This little wine cellar that they're in, and um, 
the lute's placed very phallically. He's showing off how flexible he is. And then Trudy is next to him doing warrior two, mm-hmm. um, the yoga pose. Mm-hmm. And there's like, you know, like a circular, like a circular um, candelabra above them. And it just kind of has this thing where it's like, is this the last thing I see before the chloroform kicks in? <laughs> or is this the first thing I see when I regain consciousness? You know After what I mean? Like, ki- yeah, yeah. This is the place where you don't know how you got there. Is this See, you know what? This, it does look demonic in some way, but I thought, okay, she was photoshopped in, mm-hmm. but then it's clearly not the case. But then I thought, what if this is actually the, the, the resting place? Like when they, like when I lay down on a bed to rest, relax, and you know how you have to relax all the muscles one at a time. That's part of a meditative problem. Mm-hmm. When they do it, this is the, the, yeah. the poses that they land in. Sting is at his most relaxed, cross-legged, staring into a void, holding mm-hmm. a phallic lute. He he could not be any more relaxed. And same with Trudy. Yeah. I mean, they both have this vibe of the couple that, like, really likes your vibe and sends you a drink at the bar. There you go. They <laughs> you know basically, I mean? they are the people, they must have been the people who started. Like, that's where that came from. Yeah. That's, that's where that vibe comes from. Yeah. Yeah. They saw- and I'm kind of curious. So this was a photo for Vanity Fair, and I wonder, like, who the creative force behind this was. Like, yeah. was this the creative director's idea for this whole motif, or did like Sting and Trudy show up to the shoot and have some ideas? <laughs> yeah, I bet they were like, "We're just going to send a photographer, and it's mm-hmm. going to be an at-home shoot." But then that's what their at-home life is like. <laughs> this is actually what it is like. They're just like in their little wine cave. Like, how do you say no to them creatively? How did they sh- you show up at a photo shoot and they're, they're like, listen, we were thinking about 65 candles, sort of looks like one of us is going to be sacrificed. Trudy's going to do a bit of yoga and then Sting's going to sit there. And then everyone's like, no, that sounds terrible. But no one can say it, you know? I keep thinking of like the um, assistant that has to light all these candles, like the assistant yeah. that's just like lighting, like placing them on the floor, like. No, the line has to be straighter. No, there needs to be a 90-degree angle here. Okay. Well, then the truth is like, the, the one, she just does, she doesn't get it. She's just not getting it right. Get rid of her. And they fire one of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do we know who took the photo? I thought it was Annie Leibovitz, but I was wrong. My I God. Very okay. It does have shades of Annie, Annie L., um, I think it's a little cluttered for her, don't you think? I don't know. Someone touched me. There's a lot going on. The staging feels very uh, theatrical in any way. Like, I wonder what they the, they think of this photo. Like, did, did they look at that photo? I'm like, yeah, that's us. They got it. They got our essence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. We don't look silly at all. <laughs> well, you use this photo a lot on Twitter, especially you sometimes will superimpose it. Well, you use it for like reaction kind of images. Yeah. But then you also, I enjoyed, um, you took Matt, Mark Zuckerberg's presentation about Facebook changing his name to Meta and you put it in that presentation. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I do it all. Like anytime like someone's like in Congress has like, you know, like a giant poster board, they have to refer to like, that's an opportunity. There's one picture I really like where Peter Navarro, the Trump financial advisor, was like walking out with paintings that weren't his. Like there are some like AP photos of him just like walking out with things that like are supposed to be like, I think it was like the, the, the Eisenhower building. He was walking out of these paintings and like they aren't his. <laughs> like they're like government property. What are you doing? And that's why I just superimposed some of the, the pictures into the paintings he's carrying. 
Like, <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Well, Maggie, because you are such a sting expert, I thought uh -oh. before, before we got into our Thanksgiving edition of Daddy Issues that we would play a game with you called, mm. drum roll please, it's a sting thing. Okay, I'm going to do very badly because well like, I don't like really read it's, about this thing. I just look at pictures of him and laugh. I don't know. It's Listen, Maggie, there's nothing at stake. <laughs> there's nothing at stake and yet there's everything at stake. Yeah, you know this what is what I mean? about. This is incredibly high stakes. Uh, I got a reputation as a Twitter weirdo. Don't follow. <laughs> exactly. Okay, just for, do your best. First question. Just do your best. What is Sting's astrological sign? I'm going to give you four or five choices. Leo, Scorpio. Sagittarius, Taurus, or Libra? My first thought was Libra. You're correct. He is a Libra and his birthday was October 2nd. Jesus. Dang it, my dad are both Libras. Guess who he shares a birthday with? No. Annie Leibovitz. No. Oh my God. He also shares a birthday with Lorraine Bracco, who plays Jennifer, Dr. Jennifer Welfie on The Sopranos, as well as Gandhi and Kelly Ripa. <laughs> God. What a dinner party. Right. Wow. You're, you first one down, you nailed it. Like, but, logically, I was like, everyone hates Scorpio, so maybe, maybe he's a Scorpio. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then I'm glad I went with my gut. True or false? Sting has been thinking about death since he was a child. True. <laughs> he said in an interview with Rolling Stone, I have been thinking about death since I was a kid. I get a kind of spiritual vertigo. I was bought up in a religious background with ideas of eternity, eternal torment, or eternal heaven, which sounded just as tormented to me. I became obsessed with it, maybe morbid about it. I feel like that's everyone's experience who grows up Catholic, but he makes it sound like it, he makes it sound like it's his and his alone. It's, it's Somehow unique. he was alone with this idea. It's unique. Yeah, like, oh, wow, when you're a kid and you re realize, like, oh, shit, I'm going to die one day, like. Like that rocks and, every kid. Like, and no, but it's all how... you're right, Maggie. That to think that that's like uniquely sting. Um, yeah, that's like everyone. That's like everyone in like Sunday school. Yeah, <laughs> if if Sting does not have a cologne currently called Uniquely Sting, he should start one. Uniquely <laughs> Sting. Okay. Sting and Sting alone. So you're sting and Sting alone. You're two for two here. Sting. Okay was described by police guitar player Andy Summers to the New York Post as, quote, a whore, <laughs> a narcissist of the highest order, not a team player, or someone who needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror. I would say not a team player. Yes, three for three. Amazing. Look at wow. you. Oh, my God. He isn't a team player because he just like no. split. He left the police to go like release a million albums. But it seems like they were really just irritated, fed up with him too. Yeah, they hated him. I think they continue to hate him. Yeah. True or false, do, do Sting's children call him Sting? No. They do. Get out. Stop. In the That's so weird. In the 1985 documentary, Bring on the Night, a journalist called him Gordon, to which he replied, my children call me Sting. My mother calls me Sting. Who is this Gordon character? Dude. That's so weird. And like, you know, like David Bowie's real name is like... David Jones. Yeah, he's like, oh, it's just a character. Like that really healthy kind of... 
no, it's just a name that I use on well, the stage. That, that's what Amon used to always say. It's like, the world knows David Bowie. I know David Jones. I am right. married to David Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Sting did the opposite, and he is Sting at all times in his life. His real name is Gordon Matthew Thomas Sumner. Oh, um, that I know. Mm-hmm, you knew it. All right, we got two more. You're still doing great. Hang in there. Oh, he's in like that Tom Waits pantheon of celebrity that I hate, where they're just like in character. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, no, I'm staying. No, this is. <laughs> There's some character all the time. Like, oh my yeah. god, wow! I also hate Tom Waits, and when people love Tom Waits, it's a huge red flag to me. In the same way that like loving Charles Bukowski is a red yeah, flag. yeah. Like, run away and uh, people get like really upset when you say you don't like like hey this just isn't for me and they get really like anytime i like mention that like there are dudes in my in my like in my mentions like sending me a link to the song that's going to change my mind yeah like i don't know what tom waits i've never heard his music like i don't know what right. he sounds like yeah right. and i haven't heard enough of it to know it's not for me and these are the guys that like are like oh you know they i know that these guys on twitter see discourse about quote reply guys but of course it doesn't apply to them they're not a reply no. like, not at all okay i have muted over a thousand people <laughs> i said how many are men that you've muted like 90 percent of them yeah <laughs> and it's like my offenses are very like it's just sometimes it's like when guys like reply to me about something they like but they tell me like they're informing me like oh. they assume it's knowledge i don't have Right. Like instead of saying like, hey, do you like this album? I like it. Or, hey, do you, have you heard this, you know, seen this movie? I, I think it's cool. They like tell me like they do like this little like kind of professor discourse in my men my mentions and it's awful. Yeah. Instead of being like, are you familiar with this song? It's like, you must check out the B-side to this Japanese import version of blah, blah, blah. And you're like, eat shit. But it's, it's such a total trope like it's such a like how do they still do it it's so it's like it's such an obvious terrible thing to do i don't know i, know. Like, I think it's they still do it because it's kind of like the phenomenon of how are men still like how is andrew cuomo thinking that me too wouldn't apply to him you know right. like, yeah yeah yeah, it's, yeah it's just that sheer force of will and entitlement like yeah that's exactly well I, not me other guys but not me yeah um, okay two more questions who changed a 10-year-old Sting's life when they waved to him from a car? John Lennon, Little Richard, the Queen Mother, Eric Clapton, or Elvis? I want to say oh, Eric Clapton because he's awful and that's kind of a... <laughs> like, that's a really great synergy. Like, it's like, oh, game like shit game recognizes shit game. Like, okay, great. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, it was yeah. actually a close second in the realm of horrible people. The Queen Mother. It was the Queen Mother, allegedly, according to his Wikipedia, Sting said that he was waving to the Queen as she rolled by in her Rolls Royce while he was growing up in his shitty shipyard adjacent neighborhood in England, where he felt that he was doomed and destined to be a dock worker. Um, a 10-year-old uh, Gordon Sumner was, quote, infected with the idea that I didn't want to be in this street. I didn't want to live in this house. I didn't want to end up in the shipyard. I wanted to be in that fucking car. Okay. That, that makes sense on, like, a symbolic level. Like, this relic of the British Empire and of colonialism coming by and anointing him. This yeah. man who gets rich off of music based on reggae. 
yes like right. this guy totally. completely appropriates like black music and becomes like this multi-millionaire yeah yeah that all tracks that it, all makes sense it totally does okay yeah last question which of these movies or tv shows has sting not appeared as himself on ally mcbeal the simpsons only murders in the building b movie or dune he wasn't himself in dune you got it that was a trick mm. question maggie <laughs> i want to congratulate he? you on your an active listener you got four out of six correct. That is a B plus slash A minus. So thank you for playing. It's a sting thing. Put on the red line. Oh. That was amazing. Well done. I was yeah. kind of hoping that like the um, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip cameo would come up when you were like. I remember that. That's right. <laughs> I saw it in Wikipedia and I was like, what What did he, he played himself on Studio yeah, 60. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays himself. He's playing his lute. And um, Christine Lottie's character, I think she's a journalist, just like, sl- that whole, I mean, that whole show was an embarrassment after it embarrassment. so but- bad. Yeah. Yeah, that moment in particular, it's like Christine Lottie, she's like slobbering. She can't believe she's meeting Sting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really happy for Paulina Petrakova. She's moved, you know, she had such a horrible marriage to Rick Ocasek and he was awful to her and he cut her out of her will, his will, and it was a whole yeah. thing. And, and cut his children out of his will. But did she have to find love with Aaron Sorkin? God damn well, it. Well, it didn't last. I oh, mean, they broke it, up now? Yeah, they broke up a while ago. Oh my god, I didn't know that. Yeah, how? Mm. Shit. Well, I actually I saw the it. new Aaron Sorkin last night. The new movie being the Ricardos, and the one where it's like Nicole Kidman as Lucy. Oh, you saw it? Ball. Yeah, and it's well, like, you know, it's fine. <laughs> There's brief moments where Nicole Kidman turns her head and it's like, whoa, that's Lucy. But the rest of it, you're like, anyway, sorry. All right. Well, should we get into it, Matt? We've been gabbing, talking about Sting. Let's get into Daddy Issues Thanksgiving edition. Indeed. And as, as usual, we start with who is not our dad. And when we say something or someone is not our dad... When that person, place, or thing has recently been infuriating, tragic, cruel, or just a massive disappointment. And Maggie, as our guest, I would love for you to go first. Who is okay, not so your dad right now? Not my dad right now is the, the Penn Station commute from New York to the greater Philadelphia area. Um, especially, especially not my dad are the people who use seats on a crowded commuter train to then like have a nice little seat for their bag, for their rolly bag. Mm -hmm. But, um, on a bright side, I I perfected a a look that's so vicious that people jump and instinctively take the bag off the chair when I look at them. That's good. That's a (laughs) skill. That's a good skill to have. So how many times have you had to do this Thanksgiving commute? This is like a a regular thing, like a yearly, right? For how long? I've lived in New York for like 16 years. And in that time, you've perfected this power. I guess that's Yeah, or it's just like, like, it's kind of like man spreaders or I'll just like, Ugh. I'll just like force myself in between. Like, I'll just like, yeah, I'll just full on go in because I am not, like, I'm not. I'm just, I seek them I'm, out. I'm like, I'm like Do Michael ever... Douglas and falling down, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like a gender flipped version and like a, do you ever do that? I look for the men who are manspreading and then I go and make them move for me. Yeah. Because it drives yeah. me nuts. So Matt and I, for the listeners at home, can see you. 
what is the look if I am like, I don't feel like putting my suitcase on the overhead thing. What do you do? What is the look? Yeah, what's the facial muscle memory thing that's happening? Well, I walk by and then I meet their gaze and I hold it <laughs> while I'm going. And I, I, I look back from them to the bag. Then there's like a movement of them to the bag, them to the bag, them to the bag, their eyes to the bag. And just so there's no mistake what I'm looking at and what I'm pissed off about. Yeah. And I kind of just like, kind of like, almost swallow my lips like you motherfucker yeah but you don't say anything it's like a pinter pause kind of thing. i don't You're have to say like, anything like yeah, sometimes yeah. if it really comes down to it i'll be like hey is your bag comfortable but yeah. um People i'm usually not one to start shit i'm usually just one to kind of inflict disapproval that's so egregious that they have to react <laughs> yeah. yeah the look of scorn i yeah I do that when people are loudly talking on phones. Like, I cannot handle the, like, Metro North phone call. I want to listen in on a conversation that's, like, funny or scandalous mm -hmm. or at least interesting. It's always, like, about nothing or Someone yeah. killing time and asking bland questions that don't need to be asked. Yeah. Just because they can't be alone for 10 seconds. It's so yeah, like if I want to overhear something, I want to hear overhear like a breakup. I just want to overhear yeah, like a pivotal moment in someone's that's life. That's the money shot. I was yeah. breakup is the money one shot. time I was on, and it killed me. I was on a Metro North, and I was sitting next to, well, I was sitting like three rows in front of two guys that were like spilling tea about John Stamos, and I, <gasps> I could only hear like every other word. And I was like <sighs> desperate, like I almost got up and moved, but I couldn't because it was so packed. But somebody had details on John Stamos and I, it's, I, I think about it like at least a couple times a year to this day of like, what were they saying? Like I, I whatever it was, it was really good. It was really good information. Um, what do you think it was? He's probably like a weirdo. Like, I don't know. Mm. He Remember how he and his like very much younger wife are like obsessed with Disneyland? Not that that means anything. There are people who love Disneyland and it doesn't mean yeah, anything. Yeah. But like it was something about him being in a play or something. Yeah, I don't he, know. Was I think he was on Broadway for a bit. Yeah, he, he has was. that vibe of, you know, like one of those actors that ends up on Broadway for a bit. Yes, totally. I'm usually stuck overhearing someone, like someone talking to someone who doesn't want to be talked to, like trying to strike. Like, I mean, I'll be real. It's the dude talking to a woman, but uh, it's always dudes trying to insert themselves into people's lives. But like, like I'll, I'm usually just over, like overhearing, like, and then the person too polite to really draw a boundary, but at the same time, just only giving them one word answers, like trying to telegraph how uninterested they are. Yeah. Like, or like looking at their phone and not really engaging. That's amazing. Well, I have a similar not my dad this week, which is yours is the commute to New Jersey. Mine mm -hmm. is the act of renting a car in the greater New York City area and also driving oh. in New York City. You have to go like out in the middle of nowhere to get the car. Like, well, no, I actually I go to LaGuardia, right? And I'm not that far from an Enterprise in Greenpoint. Oh, okay. Secretly, there's an Avis, like there's a Avis mm -hmm. car rental, like down by like, uh, like North Six and Kent. Um, but the process of renting a car is nightmarish and wildly expensive. It's so expensive to rent cars. Like I have had prices quoted back to me where I'm like, I could fly to LA for cheaper than that. And I'm driving up mm -hmm. to see my sister in Ithaca. You know, it's a thin line between love and hate. And sometimes, you know, you just shift things a little bit. Not your dad could be your dad. Driving in the city 
is both harrowing and makes no sense at all and also kind of fun. It's kind of amazing because I used to have a backwards where I thought that people in New York City were really good, quote unquote, drivers. That You have to really know how to be a defensive driver. No one knows how to drive here. People are just like, there's there's no rules. You could drive into someone else's lane if you wanted to. You can honk for no reason. You can honk mm-hmm. because someone has stopped legitimately at a stoplight to turn. And they, mm-hmm. there's nothing they can do except stop because it's a red light and you still get honked at. <laughs> none, of it, <laughs> none of it makes any sense. I vacillate between being like, oh, I secretly love this because it's so chaotic and like funny and bizarre. But the thing that is the The worst, worst, worst is the feeling of coming back into the city and being in a car. And it's like, you know, most GPSs on cars now will tell you like for your phone, like, oh, you know, it's nine miles to home from the tunnel to get back into the city, Lincoln Tunnel or whatever, nine miles. It takes an hour and a half. And it's it's 90 minutes ETA. Like it's a bad feeling. Like you just want to be in your apartment. You just want to be in your bed. You just want to be home. And you're like, I have to wait. I have to crawl for 90 minutes for nine miles. Anyway. The bladder doesn't explode. I know. Always, always vigilant that you are because anything could happen at any time. It's not like you're just sitting in boring traffic yes, looking away. Like somebody could boring. kill you at any second. You literally just crawl for, for for 90 minutes. You crawl, you drive two miles an hour for 90 minutes. So mostly I'm facing this because my sister lives in Ithaca and I go up there for major holidays. And Ithaca, you need to get a fucking train. Why don't you have a train? You are... Mm. Cornell. A college town, right? It's a college town. Mm-hmm. It's a college it town. There's no train. Yeah. It's insane. Anyways, not my dad is renting cars in New York City, even though I secretly love the mess of it all. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, tell us. Not my dad really is just the entire notion of Thanksgiving. I'm actually kind of ambivalent about it, literally, in the sense that I've lived in America for half my life and only ex- really celebrated it half the time. And it's sort of like my relationship with the metric system versus Imperial, where I'm just like half the time I've done this and half the time I've done the other. And now I have no instinct about either of them. But I kind of just like go, I, I don't particularly like the meal, food. I don't like the dishes. I do eat turkey every day. So it's just like, I'm eating this turkey that I eat like every day anyway. The best part about having a big Thanksgiving dinner at your house is not having it and going to a restaurant. That was one of the best Thanksgivings I ever had was going to this restaurant around the corner of Williamsburg. And I'm like, I got the Thanksgiving meal. I'm like, this is incredible. It's a third the price. I don't have to clean up, but I don't have to make any of it. Um, I do care more about Thanksgiving than I do about Halloween I like the fact that it's a huge holiday in America that's secular and entirely about gratitude. We don't have to have like endless religion all over everything. But I just don't think I care that much about it. I just don't think I do. I like Thanksgiving because it's not religious. Like it's just let's eat yeah. the food. It's a major selling point for me too. Yeah. It's a celebration of gluttony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's more American than that? Yeah. Look, no shade, you know, everyone do your thing. Not, I'm not mad about it, but what I'm just like. What is your favorite oh. holiday? I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, I really don't know. I like the first day of summer, actually, because it's like, ooh, summer's going to be, like, summer's fab. I love summer. Because then you go to have, like, lobster on the beach and stuff. Like, that's cool. Are you cool. a Memorial Day guy? I guess so. Yeah. 
I'm a big fan of all the holidays where I'm not expected to go home. Yeah. The holidays where I can I can be left the fuck alone if I want. Those are good holidays. Yes. And you can just do it anyway. Have you ever spent July 4 by, like, I spent July 4 by myself. Like, I've I've spent several holidays by myself, and it's actually been over the years. Like, it's mm-hmm. actually been like, oh, this is cool. Oh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, you chill out. You read. Want. You read. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's okay to be alone on 4th of July. Like, there's not stigma yeah. about, like, oh, you were alone on the 4th. But there is not so like much stigma about something. Christmas. The, I've heard someone describe it as the trinity of terror as Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's Eve. I, like, I don't drink, so, but even before I stopped drinking, like, I don't, like, I never really cared about New Year's, but I'm a really big fan of a New Year's Day party. I yeah, have that's never a good not idea. had a good time at a New Year's yeah, Day party. That is, that's because the horror of the evening is over, and now it's like, oh my god, a new thing, I'll have brunch and people can come over. Yeah, totally, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, Let's go in the other direction and talk about who our Thanksgiving-based dads are right now. It's just a reminder that if we decide something or someone is our dad, it means we think it or they have recently shown big boss energy tempered by compassion, intelligence, and or vulnerability. Maggie, once again, um, I'm going to pick you first. back on, on something you said about going, how you loved going to a restaurant, because every year my mom says we're going to Prospector's, the um, buffet near my, near my mom's apartment for Thanksgiving. I'm like, yo, that's my dad. <laughs> for all the reasons that you said, like, like it's a $20 buffet, so I don't have to dress up. Um, yeah. Like, I am not doing any housework. I am not hanging out at an aunt's house I don't want to hang out at for eight hours all day. Like, we eat, we pay our check, and we go. Yeah. <laughs> that's the best. It's the, so good. You're with your mom at Prospector's. What mm-hmm. is the vibe at Prospectors? Is your do you have you have a brother, right? Yeah, um, he very wisely always schedules work that night. He's a bartender, uh-huh. so, and that's I mean that's usually a lucrative night for him because it's like, what do you want to do when you have to spend all day for family? You want to drink, yeah. And lo and behold, there's my brother ready to <laughs> ready yeah. to take the pain away. He's doing so, he's um, helping the community. So he comes down, and then we have to be like get him back to Philly on time so we can start his shift at eight. So there's kind of like these nice hard outs that my brother, com- you know, like, so he's kind of the buffer. So I don't have to like handle mom alone. Like, and then, um, you know, we drop him off. And then sometimes mom and I go to the movies, which can be kind of a shake up. Like, it's usually a good idea because I can just sit alone for a while. I don't have to like, I'm not being interrogated. So it's like, <laughs> but like at the same time, we was- we saw the mule together, I think when Thanksgiving. And then, and then I had to sit with my mom while we watched like Clint Eastwood have two threesomes. <laughs> That's, I mean, the second one yeah. was like mostly implied, but it was still just like, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you'd lived to talk about it, so well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Clint Eastwood. What thank you, you for this magic holiday. Yes, thank you, Clint Eastwood. Isn't the mule? Someone was just telling me about the mule the other day. Like the premise is what that he's really a good driver, and so he's just yeah. a drug mule. Sold. Make that movie. Clint Eastwood's a good driver. <laughs> is that what it is maggie is that correct That's the elevator pitch <sighs> well there's the you know he's a good driver and he gets laid multiple times <laughs> did he write and direct it yes okay. he did well i know he directed it i'm not sure if he wrote it but it's possible i do like his movies though i don't like i'm not aligned with him on his politics but he does make really interesting movies mm-hmm. like richard jewell was fascinating 
Interesting. I haven't seen that. I did see um, Grand Torino, which is amazing. Oh, <laughs> it's just like it's old man fantasy. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's doesn't he literally say "Get off my lawn" in Grand Torino? He might. I know his his pants are like hiked up really high. I always enjoyed like when Bill Hader did his impression of him. Like his pants were like up to his nipples. Like his belt was like up to his nipples. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The inseam is like four feet. It's like so. Yeah. Like, the pants are he did, enormous. He did that like parody of himself where he was at the Republican National Convention just balking at a chair. Remember that? Oh my. Did he do a parody of that or did he? No. I mean, I think okay. that to be fair to him, I think he was clearly doing a bit like interviewing a Democrat who wasn't there on a chair. I think it was chair. Obama. I think he was like bitching out of Obama. If oh, I he was bitching. Yeah, right. He okay. Yeah. totally Maybe. forgot about that. I think you're right, Matt, that he was trying to do a bit and it was just really went off the rails. But I don't but think like he didn't set it up, you know, and so we're just like, why? Like, I went like, wow, I thought I was going to wait to Thanksgiving until I watched an elderly person argue with furniture. But I'm yeah. getting it now. Yeah. If you miss Thanksgiving, here it is <laughs> at the RNC. I totally yeah. forgot that that happened. Oh, my God. Combined with like John McCain and Sarah Palin. Hell. And what a treat. I know. Piers, what have you got? My diet this year is cranberry sauce. And let me tell you why. Because it's good. It really is. And it, it really pulls. <laughs> pulls. Well, that's, and that's, that's all we've got. That's it. Thank you so that's much for joining us. Thank you. That was to tell me about your father. It is good. <laughs> it balances out. You need it. And, it. and it gets a horrible rap. It's like a cliche that it's disgusting. And listen, it's not like yep. I'm eating cranberry sauce any other day but Thanksgiving. I admit that, but it, it does balance the, the foods on the plate. You know, it helps with the turkey. If you combine turkey with a bite of mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce, it's delicious. It's the perfect bite. Can I tell you something about this? I eat it almost every day. I have a can of cranberry sauce in my house and it's my favorite snack is sliced roast turkey rolled up with a tiny bit of cranberry sauce every day of the year. Throughout the pandemic, it was a way that I got, it was a staple, like consistent thing. I absolutely love it. Does your bodega guy like call you, are you known as like the cranberry sauce guy to like your bodega guy? I think so. I think, yeah. I think that's. You come in, you're like, he's like, I've got a fresh one in the back. And he's like. Yep. But you know, what's funny about cranberry sauce too, when you go to buy it at the bodega, they're always covered in dust. Yeah. So you pay $1.99 and they're always covered in dust. And then there are sometimes. In the last year when just like Food Town just d- did not have any, none mm-hmm. for weeks. Whole Foods does not sell it at all. It's so the when best this was thing all ever. out, were you like, like turning over cop cars because you just like couldn't? Hit? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought. It was a dark period of time. You spent a wall in a wall. You're like, yeah. yeah, I thought you were being sarcastic at first when I, when you started saying that you do have a little bit of cranberry sauce every day. No, I'm not kidding. I, I do. I'm not kidding. I appreciate that. No. My thing about hating on cranberry sauce is like, I just grow, like, uh, you know what I say? I say grow up to people that say that. Grow up. I don't even hear it. Whenever they start grow talking up. about it, it's just static all it's of like a sudden. It's like people that don't like hot dogs or mayonnaise. Like, get over yourselves. All well, of you. These are different things, but still. No, they're not. They're all delicious. Well, it's all sure. good. You don't okay. have it. There's sometimes foods, but they're good. So I... I just, again, I'm going to say that cranberry sauce, you are my dad because you bring everything together on the plate and you balance everything out. And I want to thank you Mm -hmm. for being there for us. 
Yes. And me too. Thank you for and, your and help. And thank you for being there for Matt and in dusty yeah. cans. Dusty cans is my drag. In the dusty fucking cans of, of jellied, not the whole ones. I only get the jellied ones because I'm infantile in that way. Yes. Um, exactly. Okay. So my dad in every, every year with Thanksgiving, a holiday that I am ambivalent about, but I'm not ambivalent about the state of emergency, the food emergency that descends upon America as Americans go to cook. The Food Network does a full-on live cookathon hosted by Elton Brown with like five of their chefs all cooking. It like you just like watching them. It's in real time, so you can just like follow along and not fuck it up. If you panic about your turkey, you can call the turkey hotline that's run by the actual USDA Meat and Poultry Department, the number for which is one eight 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 six seven four six eight five four. If you want to call them, they are government employees who are standing by to help you with your turkey panic. And in the lead up to this day, Martha Stewart, the New York Times, Bon Appetit, Epicurious, they've started its war, this competitive war of like, we have baked 79 different types of turkey so that you don't have to, so that you know the best way to do it. The media mania of like not fucking it up. We've done the work, pay attention to us. Mm. And the fact that people deep fry turkeys and there will be people who will die this year as there are every year, deep frying turkeys, mm -hmm. death, mayhem, emergencies, media wars. These are the things I love about Thanksgiving. I love Absolutely. You, I love that you gave the number of the poultry hotline. one 8 That's the number to call. That's such a good point about service journalism or just, you know, I think the New York Times did a story yesterday that literally was like, Melissa Clark spent the past six months perfecting. Yes. Uh, Melissa Clark, yeah, pastry or some crap. They think they're helping, but actually what they're doing is adding a lot of pressure to people to think this is the one, this is the recipe that was perfected in a laboratory for the past six months by Melissa Clark. So if I fuck this up, I can't do anything. Well, it's also like the thing about cooking is it's just science. Like I love it. People go to the kitchen and go, well, whatever, I'm just going to do what I feel. People who don't know how to cook do that. And it's like, no, no, there are scientific rules the way this works and they either you do it that way or you don't. Yeah. I guess it's also, it is like, if you fuck it up, then what's wrong with you? We did six months of research. We did and, six yeah. months and like, this is the one, this is the recipe. And yeah. we have landed on. And I just feel like it's kind of unfair because you know what that does? It doesn't allow people to fuck up for six months perfecting their version of that perfect pumpkin. And that's what people should be doing. That's the American tradition. You know what I that's want? That's what they should be doing. I want to I want someone to perfect the recipe for homemade hot dogs and mayonnaise. <laughs> I could make mayonnaise for you. It's a really it's a it's a blender thing that will perfect it. No, it's not, it's not easy to make that. Sure. Okay. It's, it's not. You can make both in a blender, honestly. You can make a hot dog in a blender and then you set yeah. it and forget it. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. I will say that what I also love is I've been to multiple Thanksgivings and the dad does nothing to cook and <gasps> everyone else does everything and then comes in at the end and just is like, no, we want the turkey like this. It's yeah. true. The, the gender roles are on fire during the holidays sure they? it's a lot of football yeah. and meat carving for the men's the men quote unquote still 
Matt, we talked for so long that our guests had to leave to use the bathroom and come back. So we need to wrap this. I was just about to say, let's do that. Maggie, thank you so much for coming on. It was a joy and a pleasure and for talking to us. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Maggie, so much for coming on, telling us about your father. All of them. Mm -hmm. Follow Maggie at Maggie Sirota on Twitter. Tell Me About Your Father was created and produced by Aaron Hosier, Elizabeth Thompson, and Matthew Philp. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Tell Me About Your Father and become a Tell Me About Your Father subscriber at patreon.com slash tellmeaboutyourfather. 